This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to Multi-Level Mondays, a weekly series all about pyramid schemes, Ponzi schemes, multi-level marketing, and other forms of business fraud. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're not gonna be talking about an MLM. We're gonna be talking about a company that has some questionable behavior in their past, especially the labor that goes into their products. I'm talking about World's Finest Chocolate. This company is one of the largest suppliers for school fundraisers, and they've sold over 5 billion chocolate bars since they were founded. Another couple billion, that's one for every person on the planet. World's Finest Chocolate, along with their companies that have kids sell candy for their schools, have often come into question for exploiting and taking advantage of those very kids. But these markets are huge, and the whole point of them is to help children, right? So how has everything gone so wrong? Let's take a look. Edmund Opler Sr. started his career as a wagon boy for a chocolate company when he was only 13 years old before eventually founding World's Finest Chocolate in Chicago. When he was young, he traveled to Runkle Brothers Chocolate Company. Then in his mid twenties, Edmund left for Chicago with his brother Arnold and set up a cocoa packing business. According to the Chicago Tribune, about that time, Mr. Opler enrolled in night classes at Northwestern University's School of Commerce. Mr. Opler then bought half of Siren Mills, a chocolate manufacturer in Chicago, which was in turn purchased by Nestle four years later. Around 1939, Mr. Opler created the Cook Chocolate Co. at 1000 North Ogden Avenue and started producing world's finest chocolate. In 1949, he created the world's finest chocolate division that produced bars for fundraising. The fundraising candy division grew in the 1960s and the company changed its name to World's Finest Chocolate Inc. in 1972. His company also added operations in Ontario, Canada and Sydney, Australia, and owns a cocoa plantation at San Lucia in the West Indies. Mr. Opler retired in June, 1988, and his son, Edmund Jr., now runs the company. Their focus on fundraising came around the time their name was changed. In the early 70s, it's estimated that they raised about $180 million in their fundraising division. Though most of their fundraising campaigns made $1,000 or less, some made 5,000 or more. One particularly successful campaign even brought in $150,000. Concerned about the shortage of cocoa beans, they acquired Union Vale, the company's cocoa plantation. Union Vale produced a very small percentage of their beans though, and we'll get into the majority of cocoa beans they do use in just a moment. Edmund Opler Sr. was said to be a successful businessman as well as a philanthropist, so much so that Illinois' Hinsdale Hospital renamed its cancer center after him. This is sort of ironically the same hospital he passed away in when he was 98 years old in 1995. Yet his son, Edmund Opler Jr. succeeded him and continued taking the company to new heights. Aside from fundraising, they also sold chocolate to hotels, restaurants, private clubs, you name it. 
In the 1990s, WFC remained Chicago's largest chocolate bar manufacturer and the leading national manufacturer of chocolate bars for fundraising. Toward the decade's end, 85% of WFC sales came from fundraising programs. At that time, the company relied on about 200 independent distributors who sold the company's products exclusively in designated territories, handling very small individual orders, as well as large standing orders for thousands of cases. In the late 1990s, WFC produced anywhere from 120,000 to 200,000 pounds of chocolate per day at its Chicago plant, where the manufacturing process involved taking cocoa beans, which arrived in 150 pound burlap bags, and turning them into chocolate bars or other candies. They combined their sales force with QPC, a fundraising subsidiary of Reader's Digest in the year 2000 as well. Truly, World's Finest Chocolate is still going strong to this day. According to their website, they raised over $4 billion in 2017 alone. They've even branched into the retail world as well and purchased Queen Anne Candy, a company that sells chocolate covered cherries in well-known retailers such as Walmart. Now, before I continue any further, I want to explain that this is school fundraising chocolate. It's a specific brand and not sold by the same groups that have been featured in multiple news sources as a downright scam. In the past, people have hired young children to stand outside of malls and plazas to sell chocolate bars, telling consumers that the money is going to a charity. It's of course a complete and total sham. The charity is fake and the scam artists make off with the profit. But in this case, sometimes the kids will be selling name brand chocolates, Hershey's, Snickers, that sort of thing. World's Finest Chocolate works differently. Instead, a program wants to do the fundraising. They can order boxes of chocolate, then sell it to parents, friends, the community, whoever, and then the group gets 50% of the profit back. Easy, right? Well, there's quite a few things wrong with World's Finest Chocolate, and we're gonna tackle it one piece at a time. So let's get started with the source, the chocolate itself. World's Finest Chocolate is made from child slavery. A lot of chocolate is, and I've talked about this in previous episodes with Nestle and how messed up the chocolate cocoa industry is as a whole. However, there's something that I and many of my sources find just a bit extra distasteful when chocolate that's being sold by kids is also made by forced child labor. This would be bad enough, worse yet. World's Finest actually signed the Harkin Engel Protocol back in 2001, promising immediate action to end the worst forms of child labor. Yet, according to many of my sources, these were just words. Though they signed the protocol, it seems that was sheerly for appearance sake. Let me explain briefly what this protocol stated. In this agreement, a six article plan was produced. One, public statement of the need for and terms of an action plan. The cocoa industry acknowledged the problem of forced child labor and will commit to significant resources to address the problem. Two, formation of multi-sectoral advisory groups. By 1 October, 2001, an advisory group will be formed to research labor practices. By 1 December, 2001, industry will form an advisory group and formulate appropriate remedies to address the worst forms of child labor. Three, signed joint statement on child labor to be witnessed at the ILO by 1 December, 2001. A statement must be made recognizing the need to end the worst forms of child labor and identify developmental alternatives for the children removed from labor. Four, memorandum and cooperation. By 1 May, 2002, establish a joint action program of research, information exchange, and action to enforce standards to eliminate the worst forms of child labor. Establish a monitor and compliance with the standards. Five, establish a joint foundation. By 1 July, 2002, industry will form a foundation to oversee efforts to eliminate the worst forms of child labor. It will perform field projects and be a clearinghouse on best practices. 
Six, building towards credible standards. By 1 July 2005, the industry will develop and implement industry-wide standards of public certification that cocoa has been grown without any of the worst forms of child labor. This was later extended to also identify and eliminate forced labor as well. The agreement was non-binding despite Congressman Elliot Engel threatening to reintroduce legislation if the deadlines weren't met. This was one of the first times an American industry tried to self-regulate and that self-regulation was seen as a human rights issue. However, the success was basically non-existent. It's depressing to say, but it really makes you feel that human rights issues simply aren't important to these massive companies. If they were, the least they could have done was make an effort. The deadline to put an end to forced child labor instead has simply been extended again and again, pushing this important issue to the sidelines. Multiple companies have come out with statements about these human rights issues and CNN's documentary that covers this protocol. For example, Hershey told CNN, Reducing the worst forms of child labor is critical and requires the involvement of communities, farmer organizations, industry, and governments. No single entity or initiative can solve this problem. The Hershey Company has developed and led all significant public and private programs related to the cocoa sector in West Africa for more than a decade. These initiatives include farming modernization, health, education, technology access, and community well-being. Our goal is to increase farmer income, strengthen families, and provide greater opportunity for children. It's our hope that CNN will also include the perspectives of African cocoa farmers and government leaders who working to address these important issues every day. And you're right, Hershey, no single entity can solve this problem. That's why a multitude of gigantic titans of the chocolate industry signed this protocol. It's not as if CNN asked why Hershey alone hasn't solved the child labor crisis yet, but they sure are masters of deflection. Still, I hope it's better than world's finest chocolate who, you know, they said nothing. To make it perfectly clear here, the child labor and the child slavery happening along the Ivory Coast isn't a minor problem either. It's not as if there's older teenagers working under the table for a small wage when I say child slavery. I mean that parents from poverty-stricken lands such as Mali, Burkina, Faso, and Togo sell their children to traffickers, believing that they'll find honest work and be able to send the earnings home. Instead, these children around 12 to 14 years old are forced to do hard manual labor 80 to 100 hours per week. They're paid nothing, barely fed, beaten regularly, and many will never see their families again. The beatings were part of my life, Ali Diabate, a freed slave, told reporters. Anytime they loaded you with bags of cocoa beans and you fell while carrying them, nobody helped you. Instead, they beat you and beat you until you picked it up again. This protocol was meant to put responsibility onto the major chocolate makers. This can't happen so easily. At least there should be some methods in place to prevent this from being so widespread and common. Yet while a lot of these companies would condemn slavery or express moral outrage, they acknowledge that they continue to use the Ivory Coast cocoa where this problem runs rampant. I understand this is biggest than world's finest chocolate alone. But again, there's something extra scummy to me about chocolate made with child slavery and then being sold by children for a dollar or two for school fundraising when these kids on the Ivory Coast are literally being fucking beaten. All in all, according to the 2013 article, the chocolate industry as a whole in the 10 years prior spent about $75 million on activities related to the reduction of child labor. Yet the revenue for the industry in a single year, 2010, was over $80 billion. So the chocolate industry spent about one one thousandth of their annual revenue over the course of 10 years to try and stop child labor. 
How pathetic is that? If world's finest chocolate has so little real desire for change, then it simply makes them a massive hypocrite for signing the protocol in the first place. Not to mention, to add insult to injury, World's Finest Chocolate has started claiming that their cocoa comes from fair and sustainable sources. One source claims that WFC believes it is important to make a positive impact on cocoa farming communities. WFC chocolate is made with ingredients that are of the highest quality and grown and processed responsibly. In January, 2014, WFC began sourcing cocoa through two parallel certified cocoa purchasing efforts, Fairtrade USA and ADM's SERAP, Socially and Environmentally Responsible Agricultural Practices Program. And in 2016, transitioned to Barry Calabot's Sustainable Goods Program. Their goal is to continue to increase their sustainable goods purchases each year and grow to that 100% in the coming years. To extend its reach beyond what it can do alone, WFC also partners with other companies to improve the quality of life in cocoa communities. This collaboration helps WFC make the biggest difference. They're involved in the International Cocoa Initiative, which works in cocoa regions to educate farmers on safe and appropriate practices, monitors labor conditions, and takes corrective action if needed. Additionally, WFC supports the Sustainable Tree Crops Program and Farmer Field Schools, which trains farmers how to establish good labor practices, improve crop quality and productivity, and earn better prices for their cocoa. WFC funds these programs through the World Cocoa Foundation, a group of nearly 70 chocolate companies working to build social, environmental, and economic sustainability in cocoa communities. WFC is also proudly involved with the Empowering Cocoa Households with Opportunities and Education Solutions, which works to expand the educational opportunity in West African cocoa regions with a specific concentration, helping children. WFC has long supported many programs and focused on the responsible labor in cocoa growing regions. All of this sounds incredibly well and good, but it's still absolute bullshit. How sad is it that when someone asks WFC if their chocolate comes from a fair and sustainable source, they'll talk at length about their sustainability and not once mention that they're aware of the issue of child slavery behind their chocolate and are working on that. Because it's still a problem. I'm all for sustainability and environmentalism, but WFC should not get a credit for that when the most they seem to do is work with nonprofits like World's Cocoa Foundation so they can look like they're trying. The World's Cocoa Foundation, by the way, isn't exactly all that legitimate either. They may claim to encourage responsible and sustainable cocoa farming. And some sources say that companies being certified or working with the World Cocoa Foundation is a great first step. But the attitude and language from the foundation's president are quite frankly, leaving a lot to be desired. Apparently he, Scobie, said that the use of forced child labor was rare in Ivory Coast cocoa sector. According to Reuters, however, He pointed to a study published by Tulane University in 2018. It estimated only 2000 of the 1.2 million children working in Ivory Coast cocoa sector can be considered forced child laborers because the vast majority work on family farms. The International Labor Organization's definition of child labor includes only children forced to work by someone outside their families. He knows that these family farms aren't like, happy, great places to work, right? Like, is he really going to say a child labor is rare when on every second cocoa farm in the Ivory Coast and Ghana, children as young as five have to work instead of attend school? This is the president of the foundation that's supposedly devoted to stopping child labor in chocolate, excusing child labor in chocolate instead. How much more pathetic can you get? Also, I love how he acts like, gee, it's only 2000 kids that are suffering. Like that number should be zero. 2000 is still not acceptable. 
Scobie even said that the biggest investment of the industry in the past 10 years has been around boosting farmers' yields and profitability, adding that sustainable farming methods are rewarded with bonus payments. This might promote sustainability, but this doesn't really do anything when it comes to child labor, does it? Not to mention their sustainability results are pretty lackluster to begin with. According to one source, their cocoa and forest initiative, which companies like Hershey and Lindt have signed off on, has in some cases done absolutely nothing. Approaching the one year anniversary of these commitments, Mighty Earth used a combination of satellites, drones, and on the ground field teams to identify how and if these commitments are being implemented in Cote d'Ivory and Ghana. The report found that over half of the Ivorian forest areas reviewed showed an increase in their rates of deforestation since the announcement of the CFI one year ago. This deforestation violates the most fundamental tenet of the chocolate industries and government's commitment to end new cultivation of cocoa in national parks and protected areas. The governments have clearly failed to clamp down on this ongoing deforestation, said Etel Higonet of Mighty Earth. The chocolate industry has spent the last year celebrating itself for its commitments to immediately cease deforestation from cocoa, but the chocolate industry continues to buy cocoa from suppliers linked to the destruction of some West Africa's forests. Mighty Earth's field team documented that farmers who engaged in deforestation for cocoa were still able to openly sell their cocoa to chocolate companies without repercussions. Farmers caught clearing forest for cocoa told investigators that they did not face sanctions, any cuts in supply chains, or even warnings. One forest had been cleared and planted with cocoa just two days before researchers arrived in the same protected area inspected less than a year prior. The field investigation documented children laboring in cocoa fields as well. And don't get me wrong, Progress is being made in some areas, but if anything, this just proves that even though improvements are possible, companies only seem to want them when it's convenient for them. WCF and WFC go hand in hand with their hypocrisy, and it's incredibly upsetting for a subject as serious as this, that they just take it so lightly. Scobie is leaving WCF this year to lead the environmental organization traffic, so hey, maybe the leadership can improve, but you know, not really holding my breath either. But this is just the first element. Aside from turning a blind eye on the abuse within their own industry, World's Finest Chocolate also hasn't exactly treated their own employees well either. But before we dig into the lawsuits, let's just take a quick moment to hear from today's sponsor. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by the big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard of Mint Mobile offering premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, well, what's the catch? But after speaking with them and at this point using their service for a couple months now, it all makes sense. There really isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. And by cutting out retail stores, there's no crazy overhead costs that get passed down to you in the form of mystery fees. Instead, Mint just passes on sweet savings directly to you. And they are seriously so easy to work with. Whenever it's time for me to like redo my little monthly thing, because I think I do like every three months I pay for my service or something like that, I just look at the app and the app is just like, hey, it's time for you to like pay your three months again. I'm like, sick. And I do that and it's literally like, is it 45 bucks a month? I think it is. And it's just so easy and it works really well. And I don't have the problem with dropped calls or text messages not going through or any of that. It's perfectly fine and it works amazing. And I can't believe I didn't switch sooner. So for people looking for extra savings, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless service at just 15 bucks a month. And I think the most expensive one is like 30 bucks a month. So just to give you the range, it's not super expensive. 
And all plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone or you can buy a new phone and you can keep your old phone number or get a new phone number too. So if you wanna get started with your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, make sure to go to mintmobile.com MLM. That's mintmobile.com MLM. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com MLM. This episode is also sponsored by Magic Spoon. Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid, but I had to give it up when I kind of got a little older because I realized it was full of sugar and junk that just really isn't great. And after living in Europe for some time too, I realized just how sweet American cereals are and they literally taste like a dessert versus like a breakfast food. So finding Magic Spoon has literally been a blessing in disguise because they have zero grams of sugar, 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. And they taste just like the stuff when you were a kid. And they have this amazing little four flavor variety pack, which has cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter flavors. And the fruity one tastes like Fruity Pebbles. It looks a little bit like Fruity Pebbles and it tastes like Fruity Pebbles. And I cannot get over that, it's so good. And another thing too is these are also keto friendly. If that's something you're into, I think you guys know maybe eight, nine months ago or so I was trying the keto diet. I ended up not reacting well to keto, but that's how I actually tried Magic Spoon the first time. So to find out that they're actually sponsoring an episode, I'm like, hell yes, I totally still eat these, which is so good. And these are also gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and of course, low carb. So if you wanna try Magic Spoon's best-selling flavors today and get started, make sure to use promo code MLM at checkout to get $5 off any order. Make sure to go to magicspoon.com MLM. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product that it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason whatsoever, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So again, click the link below, use code MLM for $5 off your first box. Go to magicspoon.com slash MLM to save five bucks today. World's Finest Chocolate doesn't exactly have a fine track record, unfortunately. In late 1991, Chicago newspapers reported that the company had to pay $2 million in back wages to black workers and women workers to settle a discrimination lawsuit filed years prior. Not much else is said about the situation, frankly, but I was able to find the case online. Really briefly, before I get into it, I do wanna clarify that I have absolutely no idea if World's Finest Chocolate is like this today. Perhaps they learned their lesson in this regard, as I didn't see any recent discrimination suits. So if you happen to work for them and haven't experienced this, then that's great. But we are here to learn absolutely everything possible about World's Finest Chocolate, and this is absolutely no small matter whatsoever. The case reads, On September 24, 1984, Faye Calvin filed a charge with plaintiff, the United States Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, alleging that the defendant, World Finest Chocolate, engaged in discriminatory hiring practices. The EEOC investigated the charge allegations and on July 27, 1985, issued a letter of determination finding that it had reasonable cause to believe that WFC discriminates against blacks, especially against black females in hiring and recruitment and segregates jobs and assignments by gender. On January 13, 1986, the EEOC filed this action, alleging that WFC discriminates against blacks as a class and females as a class in that it discriminates against blacks and females in hiring and recruitment. 
The EEOC has declined to pursue Calvin's individual claim. WFC moves for summary judgment. According to Calvin, WFC didn't hire a single black woman for factory work. She said that she even had inside sources that prove this. The lawsuit wasn't just fake Calvin being angry that they didn't hire her, but upset that they didn't hire black women in general, whereas white men and women, and even black men from the sounds of the lawsuit, didn't face the same discriminations. Again, there was enough evidence against WFC that they were ordered to pay $2 million. Now, I'd love to move on and say, hey, they learned their lesson. But another reason why this is so important is because World's Finest Chocolate has been involved in multiple discrimination suits. Back in 2004, they faced an Aegis lawsuit filed by plaintiff Raf Cabrera. This suit reads, Cabrera began working at WFC in 1997. He was employed as a facility maintenance technician. He describes himself as Hispanic American Indian. At WFC, he was under the supervision of John Singletary, Kenny Damron, Ray Southern, and Len Serwinski, who are all white. Sometime in January, 1999, Cabrera entered into a verbal agreement with Richard Kessel, Serwinski's boss, to study structural engineering design in Kessel's office using Kessel's computers. Cabrera agreed not to use any equipment or read any study materials during work hours. Several weeks later, Kessel notified him of the agreement he had made with Cabrera. As a result, according to Cabrera, Serwinski retaliated with extreme prejudice against Cabrera because of Cabrera's interest in furthering his education. In February, 1999, Singletary told Cabrera he was no longer allowed to enter the engineering office or else he'd be disciplined or terminated. Cabrera noticed he was under surveillance throughout his work shift and during his lunch hour. And he reports that multiple times he was even restrained or escorted out of the building. Prior to a snowfall the following month, Cabrera requested that a repairman inspect one of WFC's truck tires. Cabrera refused to use this truck to plow snow because it was unsafe, something to do with the tires. Singletary insisted Cabrera plow snow, assuring him the tires had been replaced, but big surprise, Singletary was lying. While plowing, Cabrera lost control of the truck and knocked out a portion of a brick wall partition. Justifiably upset, Cabrera refused to plow further until the truck was repaired, but Singletary, rather than apologize and order the truck be fixed, received a warning leading to suspension for his refusal to use the truck. Cabrera could have been seriously injured. He wasn't being difficult to work with by not wanting to use this truck. And if anything, his bosses should have been glad that Cabrera told them it was unsafe. Otherwise, him using it could have led to further destruction of company property or even a heftier lawsuit if he was injured or worse, potentially killed. Instead, he was made to use another damaged truck, which the same month, which the hatch of the pickup truck broke and he had to use his own personal vehicle to transport equipment to the work site. Cabrera states that he wanted to park as close to the worksite as possible and that no handicapped parking signs were posted, so he parked right up front. For this, he was suspended for three days for allegedly parking in a handicapped space. In August of the same year, Cabrera was ordered to repair a door in the sugar silo. He refused because he's allergic to bees and believed there would be bees in the silo. Singletary told him there weren't bees in there and to do it or he'd be fired. Unsurprisingly, Singletary was lying again. Cabrera saw hundreds of bees in the silo and quickly left. Again, world's finest chocolate put an employee's life at risk and lied about their well-being. But the final incident came on October 12th, 1999. The maintenance supervisor, Kenny Damron, instructed Cabrera to move some office furniture out of an office belonging to a Miss Johnson and thereafter clean the vacant office. 
Once the furniture was removed, Cabrera began cleaning the office. Miss Johnson returned and was frustrated with Cabrera for moving her office furniture. She asked Cabrera to move a computer monitor from under her desk and place it in the fire escape stairwell leading to the roof. Cabrera opened the stairwell and found that office supplies and files barricaded the fire exit. Cabrera apparently began discussing the importance of having the stairwell clear and noted other safety concerns. Cabrera placed the computer monitor in the threshold of the stairwell door. Later that afternoon, Cabrera was terminated. I don't know exactly how much worker mistreatment goes on at World's Finest Chocolate. If Calvin and Cabrera are the only two people that experienced issues this severe, but I kind of doubt it. Usually when there's smoke, there's fire. And right now there is a ton of smoke. From what I can see, this case was dismissed because of the statute of limitations passing. So I can't say with absolute certainty that this happened exactly as Cabrera did for legal reasons. His allegations have a statute of limitations of two years and he filed this lawsuit in 2004, five years after he was terminated. I've got no idea why he waited, if he wasn't sure how to file it, wasn't aware of the statute or found it difficult to come forward or something else entirely. Still, these lawsuits don't exactly make the chocolate company look that great. The only other lawsuits I was able to find were a legal dispute between World's Finest Chocolate and World Candies over their trademark and another civil lawsuit filed by Donald Clucklin. It's on LA County Court's website and the case number is BC251229 if you want to take a look at it. And it's a case of contractual fraud filed in 2001. But for some reason, when I was trying to access it through that portal, it wasn't allowing me to see any of the documents. So I don't really have an idea what that lawsuit was entirely about. I just doubt it was good for world's finest chocolate. That's all I'm saying. But for now, we're going to move on to the next issue that world's finest has, and that is their sales tactics. And that's why they ended up on multi-level Mondays. Now, World's Finest Chocolate, obviously, sells cheap chocolate. That's what they do, that's what they're known for. However, if you go onto their website, you'll actually find it a bit difficult to buy them. You have to purchase these boxes in cases of eight, and that's literally the minimum order size. Plus, right where it says add to cart, there's another button that says find your local representative. And this sent up some red flags for me immediately. However, World's Finest Chocolate isn't on any MLM master list from what I could see. Yet many who've worked with them have said some questionable experiences to say the least. One employee wrote in February, 2021, if you are looking for the old school 1970s office decor, this is the place to work. Executive leadership rarely comes to the office pre-pandemic, so it's an easy place to hang out while looking for a job. The pay is average, but little is expected of most workers. If you are interested in diversity and being evaluated based on merit, this may not be the place for you. When you look at the board, exec team and ownership, you realize it is as diverse as a bag of marshmallows. Sadly, this is emblematic of many family owned companies across the country and will hopefully be addressed in a meaningful matter. The reviews on the workplace are definitely mixed to say the least, but a lot of complaints I'm seeing are about management. However, another review definitely cleared the air about the difference between employees and their independent contractors. According to this review, their independent contractor agreement is often treated like a non-compete and you're treated like an employee only without any salary, health benefits, unemployment, workers' comp, life insurance, you know, or any of the things that go along with like, you know, being an employee. Funny enough, World's Finest Chocolate actually responded to this review, shedding a bit of light on their own company. Here's what they said. We believe that being an independent sales representative for World's Finest Chocolate is a great opportunity for self-motivated sales professionals. In order to support our sales representatives, in many cases, we provide financial support to help with expenses related to starting a new business. 
In return, we expect our sales representatives to give us their focused and dedicated effort and let us know how things are going so that we can help them be successful. In this case, it's clear there was a misunderstanding when this person started as an independent sales representative and accepted the draw from us. Today, we have over 200 independent sales representatives across the country that make a great living selling our products under the name independent sales agreement that is referenced above. And over 50% of our sales people make six figure incomes. As a company, we have helped groups raise nearly $4 billion. If you or someone you know would enjoy working with children and nonprofits, helping them raise needed funds, then please contact us as we are always looking for successful people to join our growing sales team. I love how not a single word of this addresses the reviews concerning how they actually treat these representatives and how they have no source whatsoever for their claims. However, as far as I can tell, this is not an MLM because at least I'm not seeing any word of a downline. Many scammy businesses that I talk about here, at least on you know MLM stuff, have some sort of downline and it's impossible to make money without them. That's usually how you actually climb your way to the top of the little pyramids. I can't say that world's finest chocolate should really be lumped in with that necessarily because their structure isn't exactly the same. However, the general attitude is definitely similar and reminiscent to what we've seen of other MLMs and Ponzi schemes before. And by that, I just mean, hey, they have hundreds of representatives that they don't seem to give benefits to. And these representatives are selling to potentially vulnerable people that are in need of money for whatever reason, school, children's hospital, cancer center, et cetera. And they make income claims that they don't validate with sources either. Other sources have also questioned how effective World's Finest Chocolate is when it comes to fundraising in general. After all, if you buy a $2 candy bar from one of these kids that are selling them, only half of that actually goes to fundraising and the other half goes straight into World's Finest Chocolate's pockets. As this article mentions, the Canadian Cancer Society has been widely criticized when they spent 31 cents on the dollar on fundraising instead of research, which that's insane. So how come with these school fundraisers, it's widely accepted that half of whatever you spend goes towards a chocolate company and not the cause? I feel like it's just better to donate those $2 to the school fundraiser without the chocolate in return, so at least you know where it's going. But frankly, World's Finest Chocolate is smart to do this, to get into this fundraising market. Now their name is automatically attached to worthy causes when these kids are selling their product. Other fundraising vendors do exist and even offer better margins. Krispy Kreme Donuts, for instance, will sell donuts for just $4 a dozen if an institution agrees to buy more than 50 dozen. Enterprising schools could potentially make 66 cents per donut by just selling at market rate this way. However, World's Finest offers convenience and custom labels. A retired elementary school principal in one article said that maximizing profits was never a goal for the school. It was simply to promote citizenship and consciousness among young minds. The article continues, the same logic also underlies our school's occasional penny drives, hours upon hours of collecting and sorting hundreds of pounds of copper discs. We learned about community and responsibility but all to generate only a fraction of what the school could have pulled in with a decent sized casino night. This reasoning is all well and good, and I celebrate any person willing to devote the energy to mold entrepreneurial children. But I would argue that elementary schoolers could also benefit from the lesson of not being unnecessarily shafted. I'm pretty inclined to agree with this journalist for the most part. I agree promoting citizenship and a sense of community is important, absolutely. But why does 50% of the money poured into this fundraiser have to go to world's finest chocolates? Why not promote a local business instead? Not to mention, I've seen some of these distributors' websites and not only do they look like really questionable, but they offer all these profit scenarios where you could make $6,000 from 100 boxes and 
Like that sounds good at first until you realize that that is assuming you sell all of them. Plus there do seem to be titles among these representatives as well, as one representative is like a gold crown with over 300 customers, even though she doesn't say anything about like joining my team, it's still kind of, I don't know, it's kind of weird. If you want to help a cancer center or a children's hospital raise money, that's fantastic. But when 50% of it goes to a company that profits off child labor to make their cocoa products, less fantastic. As for the chocolates themselves, the Yelp reviews are absolutely fucking terrible. Plenty of people have said that the quality has actually gotten worse over the years. They've changed the recipe or vendor lately for the sake of saving money, or you're better off just buying chocolate at the dollar store. One reviewer said this, I used to sell these as a kid in grade school. They were amazing. Large bars loaded with almonds. About a year ago, a kid was selling them by my local car wash. Overwhelmed with nostalgia, I bought a whole box. Fast forward and I'm home resenting my purchase. The bars were much smaller and the almonds were non-existent. They resorted to saving money by using sparse amounts of shaved almonds. Sorry guys, donating directly to charity instead of buying any more of this product. Others say the company is a bunch of hucksters and comments on how 50% of whatever they raise immediately goes back to benefit this company. Mari S wrote in 2019 that now it's like eating some waxy off-brand chocolate with a minuscule of crushed almonds instead of the rich creamy chocolate and whole almonds in them. The photos accompanying seem to show as much too, and they honestly look pretty dry and disgusting and underwhelming if I'm gonna be honest here. Some reviewers disagree, but by and large, people say they're not the same, they've shrunk their bars down and the quality has gone downhill. Amazon reviews are generally more positive, however. A lot of the positive reviews say they're so excited to sell them. The box came in one time and they can't wait to use these at a fundraiser. Most aren't about the quality of the chocolate themselves because it seems a large amount of the people purchasing them on Amazon are just buying them to like resell, unlike with Yelp. All in all, we've got some pretty mediocre chocolate by most accounts, made with child labor and a hypocritical company with questionable sales tactics. Is this the worst company we've ever covered? No. No, it's not. It's not even the worst chocolate company we've covered. That one goes to Nestle. But I just think this is an awful way to fundraise and to essentially just kind of scoop profits on the underbelly. I hope schools start to see that if they haven't already. But with all of that being said, that's where I'm going to be ending today's episode of Multi-Level Mondays. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, make sure you're liking, commenting, and subscribing so that you can stay up to date with all the latest episodes. And if you're interested in connecting with me outside of these episodes, make sure to find my Linktree link in the description box. It's going to pop up a little link page full of all of the stuff connecting to my social media and other various projects that I'm involved in. So again, thank you all so much for making it to another Multi-Level Mondays. I love you all, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.